on the phone from Peoria is Congressman Darren LaHood. Congressman, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Rick, great to be with you and your listeners, and a happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas in your audience tonight. And uh, I want to wish your mom a special uh, happy Mother's Day, uh, because I don't know if you know the story about how she grew up in Villa Park, where that's where I grew up, and she actually, her father's uh, tile place was right across from my grandfather's uh, electrical contracting shop on St. Charles Road. <laughs> I didn't know that, Rick, but she is, uh, when I told her today, because I saw her for Mother's Day, uh, she, that's the first thing she mentioned is, you know, Rick is from Villa Park, and I had forgotten about that, but um, I have very fond memories of, of spending time at my grandma and grandpa's uh, and on Kenilworth Ave, and we would walk up to his tile shop up there on St. Charles Road, and yep. it's great memories. Yes, well, so I, I wanted to make sure that I, I wished uh, your mom a special Mother's Day. <laughs> um, Thank you. So, uh, Congressman, I, I guess uh, w- one of the things I'm wondering about is, you know, from your perspective, uh, are we doing enough, is government doing enough for the rural areas of downstate in, in how they're being, you know, every every place unique, but how they're uniquely being affected by the pandemic? Well, Rick, I would just generally say no. Uh, And my district, I think, is a good reflection of that. I'm proud to represent 19 counties, almost 20% of the state of Illinois. And my district borders Iowa and Missouri. And I have cities like Peoria and Bloomington Normal and Springfield, which, of course, are medium-sized cities. Then I have a lot of rural areas that go over to the Iowa um, and and Missouri border. I think like Quincy is a good example, Rick, a a town of 40,000. They have had very few cases, very few infection rates. Uh, and you walk across the bridge there in Missouri to, to Hannibal, Missouri, and, and they are under a totally different system. Restaurants are open now. Bars are open. Again, exercise and social distancing. Uh, uh, barbershops are now operating, again, with restrictions. But the one-size-fits-all in Illinois that affects Quincy, and by the way, Quincy has come up with a blueprint that they gave to Pre- uh, Governor Pritzker five weeks ago where the doctors in town, the hospitals in town, the public health officials uh, have shown that they can do uh, an opening of, of those industries and businesses there that are affected. And so it is uh, extremely frustrating and disappointing. And I don't think it's based on the science and the data and the medical evidence that Governor Pritzker has continually asked downstate communities to abide by. And that's the frustrating part. And, and secondly, I would just say this, Rick, there is a growing restlessness and anxiety and anger in my district and other places, and, and mutiny is too strong of a word, but it is beginning to get that way, particularly when you see elected officials like state's attorneys, elected sheriffs that are not going to abide by the governor's shelter-in-place order. I mean, that that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this show is because, and as I, I mentioned to uh, another guest, is obviously regionalism has always been a part of Illinois. It's It's part of its strength. It's also part of its weakness. And it just seems like... Uh, if anything, that kind of political divide of regionalism has only gotten stronger in part because of the the, the coronavirus and uh, these restrictions. And I, I have to admit, I was somewhat surprised under the governor's kind of phasing approach here because even he in, in one of his press conferences, and he was hedging back and forth about, you know, should different regions of the state open 
uh, earlier than others, those kinds of things, and even mentioned such things as, you know, in some rural areas that you've got, you know, you're living on a on 10 acres and your nearest neighbor is 10 acres away and it's a different kind of, you know, uh, social distancing that exists than, than what you have, you know, on the corner of Wacker in Michigan. Well, well, no doubt about that, Rick. And and the other thing is, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, who I think has been respected by uh, on both sides of the aisle and by the entire country, you know, his plan is a 14-day phase-in plan, which makes complete sense for downstate Illinois. Remember, Rick, 75% of the state of Illinois is farmland. It's rural America. And we are much more like Missouri and Iowa and Indiana than we are Chicago. And to have Fauci come out with a 14-day phased-in plan and then Pritzker have a 28-day plan for downstate Illinois, it doesn't make any sense. And, and that's the frustrating part, I think, for, for us in downstate Illinois. And I've said this, there is no doubt the coronavirus kills people and, and has had an effect health-wise. But I'm going to tell you this, so does poverty. And people not getting a paycheck, people not being able to go back to their livelihood after they've been compliant for seven weeks. Remember, downstate folks have been obedient, responsible, compliant with everything in place. And now to tell them if you're a restaurant, you're not going to open up until the end of June when there is no relatively few cases and no infection rates in downstate Illinois and continue to go down. That That, that is, again, um, a very frustrating part. And it's different than all these other states that are going in a phased, a, a, a tiered approach. And all that, that we've asked the governor is to have a measured, balanced approach as it relates to downstate Illinois, and we haven't seen that. Uh, you know, when you mention about mutiny being too strong a word, but but I mean, the, the, there, the tension is palpable here. And, you know, we started seeing it with some of the lawsuits and those kinds of things. Um, but at the, the time of those... Uh, you know, obviously, people are all getting tired of of, of these rules, and and I, I guess I wonder when you talk about the the livelihood. You know, Pritzker's line is the governor's line is well, uh, I'm you have to save lives to have a livelihood. Yeah, I, I mean that, but it, when you're again, and I when I was in I was just in Quincy on Friday with all the local elected officials, and by the way. I don't. This is not a Republican or Democrat issue. Could I? I could give you just as many Democrat mayors in my district that are, um, you know, uh, upset with the governor doing what he's doing. We've asked the governor to come downstate. Uh, you know, the frustrating part is for the last seven weeks he hasn't really left Chicago, Rick. I don't know that he's been downstate once. Compare that to Governor Cuomo. Every one of his press conferences are in Albany, the state capital, three hours from New York City. Uh, Gavin Newsom. Many of his have been in the state capital in Sacramento. I'd love to have the governor come to Quincy, to Peoria, to Bloomington, Norville, to Springfield, to the state capitol, to, to interact with people and, and let people know his plan and why he's doing what he's doing. To not even have that dialogue or that interaction, I think, is what's frustrating to business folks and people trying to understand why they're being treated the same way as Chicago, which clearly has had a different uh, you know, uh, situation with COVID. They've been affected much differently. They are a hot spot, and they ought to be treated accordingly. But the justification uh, it just doesn't add up, in my view, in downstate. And again, I don't say that politically. I just say it based on the facts and evidence. We're speaking to Republican Congressman Darren LaHood of Peoria. I'm Rick Pearson. This is your Sunday Spin.
Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. And joining me on the phone is Republican Congressman Darren LaHood of Peoria. We're uh, doing voices from downstate on this uh, Sunday as kind of a theme as we talk about kind of uh, getting the pulse of where people are. You know, and, and, and I obviously, uh, Congressman, you know, I, I know downstate, I have several great friends that live downstate and and it's kind of interesting in talking to them because i don't know if it's just because of the urban population setting or 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 just that you know the covid virus is you know front and center it's in our faces all the time uh on the news and everything where i don't get that that is the mindset downstate well, I think that's accurate. Um, as again, over this last seven weeks, while people were, you know, told to be compliant and follow all the rules of social distancing. And by the way, Rick, I mean, many parts of downstate Illinois already exercise a lot of social distancing. And so, you know, we, we've been following everything. But again, as you look at other parts of the country that are beginning to open up and as people gradually come back, I, I think the frustrating part is, well, they don't I mean, they don't see the everyday results or more and more cases or people dying in downstate. Listen, this definitely scares people as they watch the national news and they see places like Chicago. But, but again, I, I say this all the time. People are resilient. They're resourceful and they're responsible. And, and they're going to continue to do that. But to continue to have the kind of the thumb of government on people and not allow them to prosper and thrive and gradually, uh, again, um, transition back into some sense of normality, that's the part that's extremely frustrating. And, and um, I think there's a little bit of people feel like Pritzker is kind of moving the goalposts, right? I don't think anybody in downstate expected that, uh, you know, we would be not really opening up many of our things until the end of June. And every surrounding state to us um, is doing that. And so there are plenty of examples around the country in the Midwest where this is happening, but not Illinois. And again, I don't think they felt they've gotten an accurate explanation. And the medical evidence and science doesn't back it up uh, in, in downstate Illinois. Rick, let me just mention one other thing. I will tell you on this. Testing is a big part of this. And I will give, give Governor Pritzker credit in his administration. They have allowed and put in forth a lot of testing in downstate Illinois. We have facilities throughout downstate, and that's a good thing. Uh, and, and people continue to get tested, but we just haven't had the infection rates. We haven't had the positive tests. But the testing is there. We're going to continue to have that, and we should. That's another part of transitioning to opening up, uh, and that's that's not something that um, uh, should be taken lightly and something that we have in place that, again, can help us get back to normality. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of talk going on about what is the next uh, relief package look like coming out of Washington, if there is a relief package, which I'm assuming there will be. And I, I guess when you look at kind of the struggle that it took to put together the last package um everybody's looking for, both sides are looking for leveraging isn't that isn't that a fair thing to say absolutely yes i mean uh, so you've got you know uh, uh, mitch mcconnell raising the the liability issue uh, legal liability issue which obviously is it goes goes to the heart of uh trial lawyers and, and who are traditional Democratic supporters. Uh, you've got Nancy Pelosi now, uh, according to The Hill, talking about uh, perhaps direct checks of $2,000 a month to every taxpayer. Um, 
sure, the federal government is the only one that can print money. Um, and yes, people are hurting. Um, the White House wants to talk about uh, a, a payroll uh, tax cut, but when you see unemployment as big as it is, uh, how does that help people who no longer are on a payroll? Uh, a lot of competing interests here. What what do you see coming as the next relief package? Well, I think that's yet to be determined. Um, obviously, we've passed four bills already over the last seven weeks, uh, spent close to $3 trillion, Rick, that we've uh, pumped into the economy. That doesn't count what the Fed has done. They've put in about another $5 billion in terms of liquidity. So we're, we're up at close to $8 trillion that's been put in. And again, that's I think the federal government's responsibility is to, is to do that. Um, I think the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, has been the, the best program we've done. We've now put $700 billion into that. That helps our small businesses, whether you're a bar and restaurant, maybe you're a landscaper, a contractor, a small manufacturer, or a barbershop. That gets you through this kind of eight-week period of time uh, to keep your employees on uh, your payroll instead of going on unemployment insurance. And I think it's worked fairly well with them being able to go to their local banker, their local credit union, uh, their, their community lender, uh, and get that money. And so um, and I would just say this, relatively, uh, if you look relatively at the four uh, bills we passed, they have been bipartisan. I think the federal government's done a decent job with, you know, getting money out quickly and in an efficient way to kind of stabilize things as best we can now. Now, moving forward, uh, you hit on a couple of those topics, Rick. I, for, for me, I think there's a growing number of us that want to take a pause. Let's spend this $3 trillion, which, of course, we haven't done yet, and see where we're at. Remember, this $3 trillion has gone on a credit card. Um, we don't have a rainy day fund at the federal government. So we've printed all this money or are printing that. And so we continue to go into debt. We're creating a debt bomb. But um, Mnuchin, Secretary Mnuchin, I think has analy- analy- he's analyzed it well. He said the analogy he's used is it's kind of like a baseball game. It's nine innings. So we may be in inning four or five now. And clearly there's going to be further response. We may have to replenish the PPP program. We, we may have to give some money to cities and municipalities and states. Um, again, uh, depending on, on how much that is, I think that will be a fight. Um, I think there's going to be a strong resistance to giving more direct money to individuals up to $2,000. Um, uh, the liability issue is out there. So I sense it's going to be more partisan. Uh, we just found out today we'll probably go back to D.C. this Thursday and vote on a number of different things. Those haven't come to light yet. Um, but, you know, there's going to have to be bipartisanship between, obviously, a Republican Senate, a Democrat House, and the administration. But those are a few things. And, and clearly we have further things that we need to do uh, to get uh, the country through this crisis. Well, I want to ask you about uh, aids, aid to cities and, and states. And obviously uh, the you were one of the five members of the, the Republican delegation from Illinois that uh, issued a response to uh, Illinois State Senate President Don Harmon's uh, letter outlining a, a, a $41 billion wish list uh, for aid from the federal government, including uh, $10 billion to uh, stabilize the state's massively underfunded uh, pension system. Um the state and, and Governor Pritzker says, "Well, that was not my request." And but the, nevertheless, the state would like to have more of like any assistance that would be almost like a block grant type, where it wouldn't be encumbered by uh, 
a lot of rules and regulations. Where 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 does the line come down on assisting state federal governments over obviously the fact that revenue losses are significant as a result of shutdown orders? Where where does the line get drawn over how much the feds kind of regulate how that money uh, can be used, how it can be spent? Well, I think it's a good question, Rick, and we're working through that right now to determine that. Clearly, through no fault of their own, you know, cities and municipalities in Illinois and my district have been affected, right? They haven't had that tax revenue, uh, and so they're facing monumental uh, holes in their budget that's going to affect firemen and police officers. And, yes, there's a responsibility and an obligation the federal government has to come in with money. I think what worries uh, a number of my colleagues uh, in the House uh, and in the Senate is, we are not going to give money to states that have not managed their states well uh, fiscally. For instance, as we all know, Illinois is about $145 billion in unfunded liability for our pension system. We haven't had a very good track record of being uh, a fiscally solvent state, and, and we, we can get into all those reasons. But there is going to be resistance to any money going to bail out states that, that haven't watched their nickels and dimes and been um, responsible when it comes to fiscal policy. So so figuring out what are those guidelines, what are those thresholds? What I've said is, and we said this in our letter, is I think giving the money directly to cities and states is a much better approach to take instead of to the state of uh, Illinois and then having it filter down. As I talk to my mayors, Republicans and Democrats throughout my district, they're in favor of the money going directly to cities and municipalities. Now, the state obviously is going to have needs also, and we have to do that. Um, in in our conversations as a delegation, both Republicans and Democrats, I, I don't think there's uh, anybody that thinks we ought to be bailing out the, the pension system in the state of Illinois. But is there ways that we can incentivize Illinois to get on the path to fiscal solvency? We all want that, right? We all want to fix our pension system and get us on the path so we're not dead last in every category. We're also looking at ways that we can put provisions in this aid that, that allows Illinois maybe the ability constitutionally to fix our pension system. Uh, that should be a goal of everybody. So um, I don't anticipate we'll vote on something like this until June, Rick, but this is an opportunity for us to help fix states like Illinois and get us back on the path to fiscal solvency, and I'll be looking to do that. So when you say about constitutionally to allow Illinois to help on the pension system, are you talking about the ability to file bankruptcy? Well, I'm not in favor of bankruptcy, um, and the last thing I would want is Illinois to file for, for bankruptcy. That wouldn't be good for, for anything. However, I know Senator McConnell mentioned that. I, I think we can use that as leverage, right? You, let's use that as leverage and figure out, um, you know, constitutionally what I mean is, obviously, when I served in the state legislature as a state senator, back, I supported pension reform that would help get us on the path to fiscal solvency. Of course, it went up to the state Supreme Court and was ruled unconstitutional. We think we have the ability through putting language in a federal bill that allows the state legislative-wise to kind of walk through that door and make the decision. We wouldn't make it for them. We'd give them the ability to do that. We're working through the language on that, Rick, but, but we think now is the time to do that uh, again, similar to how, in a bipartisan way, the legislature do that, did that. Uh, again, we're we're not gonna. Uh, we need Illinois to solve their own fiscal problems, and if we can figure out a way to do that in this bill, I, I think uh, there's many of us think that's a good idea. But you, bottom line, though, is you're saying you don't see another uh, relief bill moving until at least June. I think there's a chance the House Democrats will push through a bill sure. this week right. that is very bi- very partisan. But it, uh, but again, that'll be a marker they put out. 
I don't see the Senate Republicans or the White House agreeing something until probably early June. I think there's, again, people are resistant until we spend this $3 trillion to, to spend in more money. Uh, very quickly, I wanted to ask you about what, uh, the clip I played at the beginning of uh, being named to the uh, by uh, Republican leader McCarthy to the China Republican China Task Force. Can you just sum up what what is it that this task force is actually going to be doing? Well, obviously, there's a lot of issues related to China as yes. COVID has come up, um, and and um, so the supply chain is one of the big ones. Um, we should never be in the situation we were this time where almost all of our pharmaceutical, our medicines were, were in, produced in China or partly produced in China. How do we bring that back stateside? There are, we're up to 320 pieces of legislation in the House and Senate that deal with China. Second thing is the lack of transparency, the deceitfulness that went on with the World Health Organization and China specifically. Um, we also have bills that, are, that go to uh, asking for compensation from China um, for being responsible for this. So there's a whole slew of things. How do we hold China accountable? The other backdrop to all this is national security, right? Um, which, which continue, as Leader McCarthy said, um, the level of espionage and, and the infiltration that has happened across our country, that will be looked into. So our goal is to come up with a, uh, we'll have a report that we'll issue by October 1st on a lot of these issues on specific things we need to be doing to hold China accountable. Congressman, of course, you uh, that. Congressman I'm yeah, sorry, go I'm, I'm going to have to hold you right there. So we'll, we'll be talking more about this, I promise you. Congressman Darren LaHood from Peoria, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Great to be with you, Rick. Take care.